Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters Present. Today's episode, The Knights of Edith Piaf. She rose every day at dusk, sang, rehearsed, performed, ate, and drank until dawn. Then she slept all day, woke up and began to create and unravel again as the sun went down. Nearly every song Edith Piaf sang was from a moment of her life from the streets of Paris. She would tell her composer and musician lovers a story or describe a feeling or show them a gesture Write me a song about being lonely in London on a Sunday, she'd say. And they would put music and words to her pain and passion, giving her back her own musical autobiography. Charles Aznavour, Francis Lay, Georges Moustaki, Henri Conté, some of France's greatest musicians recall their nights with Edith Piaf. This is a broadcast between the cities of Paris and New York, between the Statue of Liberty and the Eiffel Tower. Paris, can you hear me? Yeah. Hello. Hello. We have with us today a young lady from Paris who has captivated New York. She is to France what all our most popular singers are to us. She's Miss Edith Piaf. Today, she is paying her first visit to the Statue of Liberty. Naturally, she's thrilled to talk to the Eiffel Tower in her native land, from here. A.D. Hello, hello, bonjour Paris, bonjour tout le monde. Bonjour, Dupia. This is Paris, bonjour. <laughs> bonjour. <laughs> Dites donc, est-ce que vous avez froid? You know, I am going to sing an old song which I know you all love as well as I love it. I used to know a little square Back in Paris when I was small Oh, some along it had a fair Wonderful fair with the swings and all I used to love my little fair My name is René Martini 
l'association des amis d'Edith Piaf. He is um, with the association of Edith Piaf, the people that keep uh, Edith Piaf's Je memory alive. Je suis membre d'honneur de qui peut visiter le Père Lachaise. He is the caretaker who comes to her tomb every day to clean her tomb, put flowers on it. How many people come Alors, to see La moyenne, c'est une moyenne de 2 à 300 par jour. 200 to 300 a day. Le jour de la Toussaint, il y en a 6 à 7 000 qui défilent ici. 6 à 7 000 people on the Saint days. Il y avait le, comment, le, le, le poste de radio qui sont très jeunes The most eccentric thing that happened on the tomb of Edith Piaf was a man that brought his cassette radio and player, put it on the tomb with her singing No Regrets, and he'll just look around in all his love for the moment. No. America knows uh, Piaf as a dramatic love singer, but before that she was more dramatic than that. Piaf's friend, Charles Aznavour. I remember the first time she asked me, can you find me a new way of dying? Because Piaf started with songs where always the people were dying, in the desert, in the middle of the sea, uh, hanging themselves. So the first time she asked me to find a way of, uh, of killing somebody, So I wrote her a song called Une Enfant, and uh, the dying was very soft there. For once, there's no gun, no, uh, no, no rope, nothing. Dying from love, which was different. Edith Piaf's gravekeeper. I, I want to ask him about Edith Piaf's mother. How come she's not buried here? Because she didn't want to. She didn't have any feelings for her mother, who had abandoned her. She was um, raised by her father and her grandmother. He was a circus man. He did uh, contortionist numbers on a rug outside in the streets of Paris. And she followed his father, entertaining in the streets of Paris. Oh, la dans les six, sept ans par là. Six, seven years old, she began in the streets. Dansons d'Henri Comté sur une musique de Marguerite Monod. Le brun et le blond. Dans ma petite vie, à deux garçons, il y en a un brun et puis un blond qui m'aiment tous deux à leur manière. I am Henri Comté, writer for Edith Piaf, from 1942, 42, 42, 42, to 1963, voilà. Monsieur Comté met Edith Piaf in 1940 during the occupation. At the time, she was staying in a house of ill repute. Her manager at the time found a place for her there because it was a warm place. It had heat. 
and uh, the girls were um, parading naked, therefore they were comfortable. It was a good place for Eddie to be. À l'époque que je n'étais pas auteur de chansons, j'étais journaliste. At the time he was a journalist. He was not a songwriter yet. And he was in charge of the publicity for the movie Montmartre sur Seine, her first movie. Et Edith a été tellement frappée. She was so taken by his style of writing that she asked him, why wouldn't you write me a song? You're such a great writer. And this is how uh, was born Henri Comte as a lyricist, because Piaf said, you write so beautifully, go ahead and write me songs. Piaf's lover and composer, George Moustaki. Uh, in my life, there is before Piaf and after Piaf. A musician, he had an appointment with Piaf, so he told me, come with me. And I went to Piaf's home. I was not a fan of her. And when I saw her, she seemed so fragile, so small, so sick, unhealthy. She was 42, but she seemed much older sometimes and, and much younger sometimes. It was like a, an old little girl. And she said, who is this guy? He said he's a very good composer. And she said, I want to hear the, what he does. And I sang something, it was terrible, because I was not prepared to be there to sing. And she, she was moved because I was very young and inexperienced. And uh, I was moved because she was, she's still the biggest star in the French songs. There was a seduction of the situation. I was 23. And she said, come to see my show tonight and we'll have dinner and we'll speak about it. It's a result that I've been there to the show, to the dinner, and I stayed for one year. <laughs> la dame me demandait à Edith de, de la guérir des rhumatismes. He picks all the letters up from around the tomb and there are some people that write to Edith Piaf and ask her to help them cure themselves from rheumatisms, arthritis, illnesses, because in their hearts and minds she has become more than a legend. She has become a saint. She was blind when she was three years old. For two years she couldn't see. Alors, je crois que les docteurs la soignaient plus ou moins bien. Stories tell that the ladies of the night, living in the bordello of her grandmother, closed on a Sunday, which was the busiest day for them. And they all went to Lisieux to pray for their little Edith, asking for her recovery. A few days later, she could see the piano, she could see the house, she could see... He does not know if it was a legend, but that's what was said from a long, long time ago. She had an adoration for Saint-Thérèse de Lisieux. She was Streisand, Minnelli and Garland together in Janis Joplin. 
چارلز از نور she had the voice the charisma she was not beautiful but she was beautiful she was great on stage and she used to take care of the lights for me as i used to take care of the light for her no microphones of course those days she used to push me on stage and when he was successful she used to stop me after two songs and when it was a flop she used to say one more please to force me to face the public in any situation composer charles dumont the famous song i wrote for her was um, no regrets the first before that she and me we are not very friendly charles dumont vient de m'écrire une chanson magnifique et qui s'appelle je ne regrette rien Elle était jeune et quand elle venait se saouler le dedans de pathétique En se frottant au piano nostalgique It was a sort of a crazy house, no furniture, just a piano somewhere With Piaf there was not working days She used to go to sleep late and she used to wake up late. Suddenly she used to say, how about singing? And she was singing. How about writing? And we start to write. How about going somewhere else? And that was it, you know. Uh, no discipline in, in the house. Absolutely not. 
uh, we used to eat in the kitchen, always the same thing for one month. When Pierre used to like something, she used to say, well, how about eating that once more? I remember that for 15 years I was not able to eat uh, escalope à la crème because I had that for one month and a half with mushrooms. It was too much for me. From the beginning of her career, her name was La That was her name, Piaf, given to her by Louis Le Play. And when this man discovered her, he gave her the name Piaf, which is a street bird, the kid sparrow. But not every sparrow, the street one, the one that starves, the one that is all desolated. I think she was haunted. It was not simple in her head. Emile! Emile! Quoi? She has a very big forehead. Did you notice this? And I think it was full of many things. She was brought up in the street. Her parents did not take her like they should do. And uh, she had been alcoholic. She had been in the world of prostitution. She didn't live at the normal hours. She was not very well balanced physically. She was full of phantoms. Hello! Emile! 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 I don't love her. I don't like her. And she don't like me. <laughs> no, no. We are in the contrary. But I was very young, you know, and... Uh, I was a writer, a composer. Many people sang a song I wrote. Many, many, many. She don't like that. She won't. We wrote only for her. She needed very much to have new songs. It was her food. She was very anxious to push me to write. Every moment if I was on the piano, she came next to me and uh, humming something. It was a mix of a muse and a star and a, something very, also very modest. When I was creating, she would leave her house to let me alone. She had such a respect that uh, it was not the same person. And the other way, when she was in her role, she was uh, somebody who could call you at five in the morning to say I need you you don't know why she, she just wants to know that you will leave everything and come to her when my man takes me in his arms life seems very rosy everything is so wonderful and so on and so on etc 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 la vie en rose <laughs> You know, she wrote the words many, many times. She wrote the words from the La Vie en Rose. She wrote the words for the Lille Malamour. During a day, she was awake 12 hours, and she sings, she works a song, 10 hours. <laughs> Il m'a dit des mots d'amour, des mots de tous les jours, et ça me fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon cœur, 
slave of Piaf. The writer was more important for her than anything else. She used to say, I would walk on the belly of my mother for a good song. Accordioniste Francis Lay. They were in her house outside of Paris and she would write a few words and an idea of a song and she would give it to him and she had written the lyrics and literally lock him into a room and say you only have one hour to do that. He was aware that it was a sort of a game but at the same time that game worked very well because he was forced to create. Two American stages, I was telling our audience, after that very frightful automobile accident in Paris, the great Edith Piaf. So let's give her a particularly warm up. Edith Piaf. The first time she was in America, it was a flop. It was the only good review she had, it was Ed Sullivan. Somebody says to her, in America, you can sing with your little dress like that is terrible. They want you to see you in a French, uh, has to be very elegant. She came with a long dress. She couldn't wear elegant things. It was impossible. But she was stubborn. She says, I'm going to stay in America in t until I'm made. And finally she said, I'm going to sing as I sing in France. Same dress, same songs. And Ed Sullivan present her in a show. Then she started at the Versailles and the Versailles night was incredible. I saw everybody there. When I say everybody, everybody. Chaplin, Garland, Danny Kay, that was Piaf. I'm going to stay here until I'm going to make it. The most amazing 97 pounds in Chubby. When do you go into the wall, Doctor? Are you going there very soon? Yes, 26. Well, I'll see you there at your opening, honey. Thank you. So grand to have you back. Moi je suis les verts au fond du café J'ai bien trop à faire pour pouvoir rêver I decided to leave when she triumphed in World of Astoria, New York. When I, we separated, I separated, we separated because it was too heavy for me. And I was exhausted, I mean, without blood, without nothing. She gave everything, but she took everything. Then, when the few times we saw, she was the star and I was somebody she discovered. She was very hurt because I left, usually. She left her love. She was uh, always obsessed by her work. She was completely unhealthy. She never slept. She slept with an injection and she wake up with pills. And uh, it was uh, a very big stress living with her because she was herself very stressed. Too many people around trying uh, to sell her dope or trying to show her songs or try to get a part of her fame. Too many people are on this very small, little, big woman. Many times she said, uh, I, I don't want to live if I can sing. 
People said, Piaf, you, you work too much. You must stop. You must take a rest. I said, why? My life is only important if I sing. If I don't sing, I prefer die. The very last days of Edith Piaf, Francis Lee went to see her in her home and she was broken and sick and ill and tired. But yet she wanted him to bring his accord and she wanted to sing some more. And in the midst of all that broken person, suddenly she came to life and she burst into this pure voice that he was fooled by and he thought... She was very ill that last year and she collapsed, but she would come back and she'll collapse and come back. And he, in his uh, sort of fate for her, understood that she was just, she'll come back again. But that was the last time that she sang. En ce qui me concerne personnellement, j'ai tout de même, avant toute chose, éprouvé un sentiment de délivrance. When Edith Piaf left us, he said, personally, it was a great feeling of relief because this woman died a slow death for a whole year. Every day, her doctors wanted her in a hospital bed, but she would get up, drug herself, take a train, go to another city and sing, and come back in an ambulance every night. It was devastating for him and the people that loved her. It was a great feeling of relief. When she died, she stopped suffering. La France pleure la disparition de l'une de ses plus grandes artistes, Edith Piaf. Rongée par la maladie, elle avait fait un retour triomphal à l'Olympia. They went to her house for four days with a flower to see the coffin. And can you imagine how many people that will be? Enormous. The Père Lachaise is a big cemetery. It was Coney Island, you know, suddenly. I think it was more than 200,000 people. I left. I was very... I was disturbed by that. And now when I think about that, I'm sh I think she, she would have been very happy of that. Very, very happy. Bruno Cocatrix, the owner of Olympia, he was in the first row and the people were so eager to see the coffin that they were pushing so hard that he dropped in the hole. Ils ont troué la nuit d'un éclair de paillettes d'argent. This is the tomb of Edith Piaf and her last husband was a Greek, he was a singer, Theo Serapo, that was his artist's name. His real name was Theophanes Lamboukas, so when she died, she was Madame Lamboukas. That's what the tomb says. I, I showed them a lot of tombs, you know, and now we're going to see the tomb of Jim Morrison, of course. We are from Belgium. <laughs> As uh, these tour guides are coming to present their stories and their legends about Edith Piaf, Monsieur Martin sits here and is being totally re revolted about things that never happened. And he will suddenly stand up and say, halt it there, that is not the truth, and I am here to tell you the truth. He's followed her to the point where he's devoting the rest of his life to making sure that the truth is being said about her, that fresh flowers are on her tomb, and Edith Piaf is... <laughs> 
As you see, when anybody steps on Edith Piaf's tomb, he'll be there to say, Ooh la la, no. <laughs> she was a strong, stubborn, funny woman. Funny woman. The strength to survive with all that sickness she had, to live almost 50 years. And she was like that in everything she was doing. Reading, drinking, singing. She was a monster. But what we call monster in France, we call sacré. Sacred monster means something bigger than life. Mais l'ombre se referme au détour du chemin Et Dieu seul peut savoir où ils seront demain les forains Alors au revoir. Au revoir. Merci beaucoup. Vous embrasse à tous. Au revoir. C'est fou ce que je peux t'aimer, ce que je peux t'aimer des fois, des fois je voudrais crier Car je n'ai jamais aimé, jamais aimé comme ça, ça je peux te le jurer Si jamais tu partais... The Nights of Edith Piaf was produced by the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva, with Don Drucker, for Soundprint, mixed by Robin Weiss. Our translator was Raquel Bitton. Funded by the National Endowment for the Humanities, with special thanks to the Radio Foundation. You've been listening to The Kitchen Sisters Present, produced in collaboration with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell. The Kitchen Sisters Present is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts created by independent producers. Radiotopia from PRX is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation, and thanks to AdZerk for providing their ad-serving platform to Radiotopia. If you are interested in supporting this and other podcasts like it, email sponsor at prx.org. It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. 
Thank you.